Today, I'm going to pray, and then, and then uh, we will just talk about some things. And yes, stagecoach, that explains it. I was wondering why there's like a mini half-exodus every, every year about this time. And like the great pilgrimage festivals the Israelites would go on, our church goes on maybe a less holy one, but it, maybe good holy things happen there. I don't know. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll talk about some things. Lord, thank you so much for this, this morning, this group, this opportunity to be your children and to think about deep things, to think about eternal things and things that matter uh, in the next half hour or the next day. Thank you so much uh, that you're with us now. I pray that you would incline our hearts and minds, my heart and my mind, uh, as we reflect on your word. We do this as your followers, Jesus. Uh, We pray these things. Amen. Amen. Well, it's great to see you today. So I uh, haven't preached a full-blown sermon. It's been a little while. And if you recall, I was on like a, I was on like a roll. I had crucifixion at Christmas time, and then I had circumcision. That was a fun conversation. And then I had uh, slaughter, basically, uh, in the Joshua series. And so when I heard Romans 12, like one of my favorite passages, I had to do, do a double take. And then I was concerned that people aren't going to recognize who I am. They're like, who is this guy? He's not speaking about horrific, gritty things. And so I thought I'd open with an imprecatory psalm to begin. No, I'm not going to do anything gritty, but it's wonderful to kind of be able to just sit and soak in a passage that I think has, the whole scriptures have a lot of incredible insight for our lives. This just seems to be at the epicenter of the big story. Just right there. So today we're looking at Romans 12. We've been, we're continuing this Romans series. And as you might note, yes, the title of the sermon is Flavor of Love. Inspired by Flavor of Flav. The entire sermon will be point by point exposition of Flavor of Flav seasons one through three. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you've saved several brain cells probably over the time of life. Um, but we have, we're going to be looking at this thing called love. I have a few of the points. The flavor of love, of course, inspired by Flavor Flav. The power of love, Huey Lewis in the news. That's the power of love. Remember that one? It was the 80s. We were all feeling great. We were a little scared of Russia, but that was okay. And, and then we're kind of back to that, it seems like. So it feels like a restoration of my childhood with all the Russia in the news stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, every bad guy in every movie in the 80s was Russian. You just knew it. So it feels that's the silver lining to that cloud, folks. Um, and then uh, point three, the people of love. The people of love. That'll be what we're looking at. That's inspired by the entire 1960s. So this is really a retrospective, this entire sermon. No, it's not. It's actually all about Romans 12 and nothing um, of those pop culture references. I want to start with a story that does have something to do uh, with this message and that will form a metaphor for us as we um, learn about Romans 12. I was a young man, 19 years old, eager to get out in that world and see the delights and wonders that adult life uh, had in store for me. And I went to my first wedding ever. I'd never been to a wedding before. And I was 19 years old and with my then girlfriend, Bray. Bray, there she is, beautiful, beautiful Braylon. My goodness, goodness gracious. Uh, I'm with her. Now she's my wife. She was my... Uh, 13 years in June. Lucky number 13. Yep, we're there. Boom! Yeah. Yeah. It'll be 14 years in June after that. Just keep the cl- applause going. 
There I am with their first wedding ever. Good, thank you. One clap's all I needed. We, we get there. I'm not sure how weddings work. I've never been to one before. And it turns out there's a buffet line involved in weddings, which was a nice, nice surprise. This amazing buffet line with the most beautifully like arranged foods you've ever seen. And I'm in line. I'm 19 years old, so I can eat whatever I want at that time. It just didn't even matter. I could just consume carbs and consume carbs. And so there I am. There's a bread bowl hollowed out with delicious, like, it wasn't guacamole, it was a spinach dip. Oh, yeah. And then pieces of bread, all, so it's like that's the bread bowl, and these are the intestines of the bread or something that have been pulled out. I don't know what they're trying to communicate with that, but there's the bread, and I'm so excited, so I load my plate up with bread, tons of bread, and then I get some the delicious sauce on, on there, and I keep walking, and there's an empty bread bowl. I'm telling you, these are the most delicious-looking bread bowls ever gorgeous looking bread bowls. So I grabbed the bread bowl, I put it on my tray, because that's a power move. Like that, no one's eating that bread bowl but me. So I took it, it's empty, no one wants it, I'll take it, take it back to my table, and I'm explaining, I'm explain, walking folks through my meal, because it is my first experience at a wedding, and I'm sure everyone would want to know exactly what I'm doing at every second at that meal. So I'm explaining to the table, like, oh, I got this bread, and look at this bread bowl. Oh, I'm starting with the bread bowl. And I'm telling you, never has there been such a bread bowl created by the earth and human beings and things like that. It was just gorgeous looking. And I, I, pulled, I, I lifted it up, and I'm like, first bite, the bread bowl. And I just went for it. The, like a Tyrannosaurus Rex bite, just crah, bread bowl in the mouth. It was, the, everything was going great until I bit into the bread bowl. So it turns out they put like a finish on the outside of the bread bowl. It was actually a serving device that was originally bread at one point, but they put like lacquer or something to make it shine and make it look so delicious. So like my taste buds went into full revolt. Some of them were just annihilated and melted at the very moment. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is when you go to weddings, be careful. Be careful. Uh, this, the, the taste of the bread bowl, it looked so good. It tasted so, so bad, so very badly. And as we talk about um, Romans 12, as we move into this passage, uh, the theme of Romans 12, and particularly verses 9 and following that, that I've been uh, sort of assigned, the theme is love. It's like, what, what does love taste like? What does it really taste like? Hence the term, the flavor of love. What is it? really tastes like? Because I, I know one thing for sure. I've been, um, some of you might be newer to the, the whole church thing, and you're checking it out, and we sacrifice the goat at 12 noon. So you're, I always do that joke for people that are new. No, we don't sacrifice anything. Um, but, but if you're new here, you might be checking it out. But for me, I've been around the church. This is probably the subculture, evangelical Christianity, or, or, or you know, Christianity is a subculture I've been around more than almost anything else in my life. So I know it well, and I know one thing for sure. We are so good we being just Christians in general, we can be so good at making things look amazing, making them just look like, whoa, that looks good. That looks cool. We could have awesome websites and cool promos, and we could put together programs that dazzle the senses. I'm telling you, we are good at that. And the question comes then, what does the community taste like in a non-cannibalistic way? What does it taste like? Truly, when you bite into it, what does it taste like? And that's exactly as Paul gets to um, Romans 12. A couple preliminaries I want to say before we begin reading it. And these are just um, uh, guides to help us, guides to help us as we read Romans 12. 
Paul is going to give a whole bunch of therefores. He goes, therefore, dot, 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 do this, do that, keep this, keep this in mind, go for this, go for that. What we need to understand about any of Paul's letters, for the most part, not all of them, but most of them, they are always his moral instructions, some, uh, his moral exhortation, or, or to put it in like some sexy scholarly terms, his paranetic sections, sections where he tells folks, here's how y'all need to live and act and do things. Those are always, they come after a much larger section where Paul just displays this majestic mural of what is true of God, what is true of you, what has happened in light of your relationship as a disciple of Jesus. He lays it all out, and then he gets to the therefores, or the Greek word for it is gar. Gar, it's like piratey. Therefore, do this, that. Keep this in mind. Remember this. Treat one another like this. So so if we just read Romans 12 as a bunch of sort of to-dos, and we don't keep in mind Romans 8, Romans 1 through 8, Romans 9 through 11, which we skipped, but keep that in mind at home, I guess. Um, when, we, when, when we don't read those and have those in our minds, we can think that the moral instruction is like this extra obstacle course. Oh, you want to be a Christian? All right. Well, all right, jump through this hoop, do the American Ninja Warrior climb up over this little wall, and then a double backflip. And if you do all that well, God will look at you and go, all right, all right. Look at that little glimmer in his eye and go, you're on to next level two. You're a level two Christian. And so if we just read these as just do this, do that, without understanding the beautiful moral uh, uh, theological framework that Paul's already provided, we miss the full beauty. For example, you can't read Romans 12 without keeping in mind Romans 8.1, for therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is none. No condemnation. Zilch. Zip. None. Uh, you can't read Romans 12 without the last few verses of, of Romans 8 fresh in your mind, uh, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not height or depth, or, or angels or demons, or present or future, or anything. Nothing can separate you. So I just want those firmly affixed in your mind, in your mind as we, as we read. And is there any way to bring the, the mic down just a touch, just a little bit? I think I'm, I get passionate. And I spit when I talk, but I also fluctuate. And if my voice cracks, it's all the more embarrassing for me. Let's read it. Romans 9. I mean, Romans 12, verse 9. Paul, begin, Paul says this. Okay, let's start real quick. Romans 12, 1. I just want you to remember, Todd already talked about it. But he says, Paul begins with, Therefore, I urge you, Adelphoi, that's siblings. That's what that term means, a Greek term. It means brothers and sisters. Paul uses um, familial language when he talks to the church, when he talks to the family of faith. He calls them by brothers and sisters, uh, siblings. In view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the, the question of like, what, what should I do, 
Paul, with all of this incredible theology you've dropped on us, this salvation history that you've walked us through, telling us about who God is, who we are, what went wrong, how Jesus died and and rose again to patch up and to make new that which has been broken and corrupted. All that theology, what should I do with that? He says, here's what you should do with that. Do you want to worship God? Do you really want to worship the living God? Here it is. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. You're not going to be involved in some ritual form of worship. That, that's not exactly what God is desiring. You know, sacrificing goats or something. Um, you're not going to be necessarily, your primary act of worship isn't going to be maintaining certain purity laws. And, and, um, and being careful to you know, wash your hands in the right way necessarily. Instead, your worship is your whole life. And that life of worship, he says, is going to look different than the patterns you're going to be handed out there in the world. In the world meaning, in this particular context, I think Paul is describing any system or, or individual that's, that's operating outside of God's ideals. That's kind of doing things outside of the way in which God has intended them. That would be, broadly speaking, the world. And so you are going to worship him differently. And then verse 9, now we're at our verse. Here's, here's how we might then do that. It says, love must be sincere. Let love be sincere. Literally the Greek term here, on hupokritos. Literally like non-hypocritical. Make sure your love is non-hypocritical. Everything that's going to follow, bless you, in this, in this next few verses, is the, the premise of all of it, or the um, enduring idea, is this cannot be synthesized. You can't fake this one. You can't throw some lacquer on it, make it look shiny and beautiful and delicious. And then when you bite into it, it, it tastes like napalm has just entered into your mouth. Like, you cannot, this has to be. It must be sincere, authentic, organic, real. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Literally the term Philadelphia. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, that's what, or sibling love, which in the ancient Mediterranean world was the most profound form of love. Love must be unhypocritical. Love each other as siblings. In a, in a world, we, we uh, as we think about definitions of love in our culture, and there's so many questions about, like, we seek it, by the way. We love it. I, I mean, I love love. It took me everything not to bring in a whole playlist like I've done before when I've preached on love, a whole playlist of love songs, some Peter Cetera, some Mariah Carey in that mix, definitely. Michael Bolton. You better believe there's going to be some Michael Bolton in there. So I didn't do that, but I wanted to because that would have taken up a lot of time in the sermon. We talk about love. We think about love. We quest after love. Every single one of us, we live as though we're hardwired seeking love on your deathbed. If you're on your deathbed with with all your faculties intact, or even most of them intact, you're not asking for stuff to bring me my plasma TV and a picture of my Maserati. I want to look at those as I pass from this life. No, you want people around you. We all are crying out for that deep connection. Babies that are born need it. Developmentally, it's a necessity for human development, for proper, healthy human development, that there's touch and holding and affection. We are helplessly in need of love. And so as we go questing for love in all of our lives, and we live in cultures questing for love, the definition of love is going to be all over the map. 
You watch a Disney movie from like, you know, mid 20th century and beyond, you're going to see love as like the right off into the sunset with almost a complete stranger who saved you from something and all is well. Or you watch The Bachelor or Bachelorette, you're going to see a lot of like far too addicting um, roses being handed out and moments of like, oh, we're finally alone. Hmm, I like this. This is nice. I like this. You're going to see... Um, and every song that's, I mean, if you just go Billboard Top 40 and you just look at the songs on the top somewhere in there, it's going to be about love, about heartbreak, about heartache. These are things we just crave. So for us, romantic love seems to be the most important in our culture. And in other cultures, there can be different forms of love. But we want it. We need it. We feel as though we are incomplete without love. And the question then that continues to hang there is what? is love. And if Paul's going to say, love, your love must be sincere. What is sincere love? What does it taste like? What does it truly taste like? So as we think about um, the definitions of love that we're, we're going to be looking at here, I just wanted that again. I wanted to put that out there. This is the question Paul is answering. Um, love one another. Uh, be devoted to one another in love. And um, one more I think in metaphors and analogies and illustrations, I just can't help myself. I was thinking about Willy Wonka or, or Charlie and the, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the great Gene Wilder movie. If you remember that movie, and it's based on a book as well, of course. And Violet, remember Violet? And she, she gets that gum that kind of walks you through each meal. Like, oh, I can taste the, mm, the soup. And, and oh my goodness, there's that whatever. And if you haven't seen the movie, it's a great one. Watch it. Um, but... This is sort of like what Paul's doing in this section. He's like, love must be pure. Now he's walking you through each, each flavor that comes in. Oh, now there's this. Oh, then there's this particular flavor. So that's kind of what we're doing. So picture that without the giant, like, devastating ending of Violet. She expands into a giant blueberry. Never, it says, this is great. Be devoted to one another in, in sibling love and brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. And, and uh, probably even more sharp translation, that's NIV, but a sharp translation I would probably give it, given the participle um, that dominates this clause, I would say it's more like compete with one another, compete with one another to give honor away, to give honor away. This is a very specific instruction to uh, the sort of honor and shame, highly competitive Roman Mediterranean, where boys and girls, and particularly boys, were raised from, um, as soon as they were out of the womb. They were raised to be competitive, to strive after what we might define as coolness or reputation, and it's a zero-sum game. If you give away honor, it better be to someone that's way above you. You would never want to give honor to someone who's an equal, because that's sort of like there's only a limited amount of that going around, and if you give too much away, you lose it for yourself. So you can imagine a bunch of uh, Roman families living in the scarcity of honor, seeking after, competitively seeking after that honor, seeking after prestige. And Paul completely flips this around, and he says, no, yeah, be competitive. I love that competitive spirit of yours. But instead of competing for honor, compete to be the first ones to just give it away. To want to just breathe life into people and to spot something that God's doing in their life or something that, that, that they've been a part of and say, that's beautiful and I want to honor you. So this is part of what love looks like. And notice, by the way, the communal context of all this. This isn't like skip along the mustard plants and Palos Verdes 
and think lovey thoughts. That's actually not what the non-hypocritical pure love looks like. The pure love is exercised in community. Honor others, compete with one another to honor, give honor away. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So there's a passion to this. There's a passion. Passion manifests differently with different people. Uh, some are naturally I'm exuberant myself. I can't, I literally can't have office hours with a student and not be like this. It's exhausting for everyone, me included, but it's how I am. But some of you, you might, you're quiet, you're mild-mannered, but there's still a passion and a zeal and a fervor in you. It manifests itself differently. Paul would say, keep stoking that flame. Keep that passion going. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Literally, the term, the, the, um, it says like rigorously pursue philoxanion, which is like love of, the, love of the stranger. Love of someone that maybe doesn't have um, a comfort level in this community or culture. Show them some love. Be, at, be about that. This is cool, and it switches sort of uh, in 14 a little bit. It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse, verse 14. Like such an important passage um, as we think about, and it's a radical passage. It is, it's an exact opposite. I mean, we think about Jesus' instruction um, if somebody smacks you on the cheek, turn your other also. Which is not, I, I would argue, it's not Jesus saying, if you're attacked, just say, well, I can't do anything about it. Better beat me up and, and destroy my family. No, it's, it's Jesus is giving instruction uh, as to how do you handle an insult? When you're smacked on the face, psh, that's not a full-out assault, that's an insult. How do you handle it, right? What's your next move? Because a typical move is fight or flight, basically, Right? And Jesus enters this third option. Do something that's going to totally freak him out. Turn the other cheek. All right, wait, you're, you're not playing according to the rules of the game. I smack you, you smack me, I push you, you push me. I get my guys, you get your guys. Now we got ourselves a fight, and it escalates. And Jesus is like, do something totally crazy. Change the game plan. Someone wants to sue you, take your tunic, give them your cloak also. Want to walk with you one mile? Say, hey, you know what? I'll go with you two miles. You're going to make me walk a mile? I'll go two. So Jesus is giving these instructions. Paul seems to have fully digested these and is bringing them out. Bless those who persecute. Here's a good one. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. The families of faith, that true, true authentic love, is a love that seeks to understand and it seeks to enter into the moment with the other. And I think, was it last week? It was Todd or Bill said this, I think it was taught last week, but the idea that, yeah, it was taught, we want to, we want to, it's your teacher like I am, you want to teach. So someone's hurt and you want to say, like, okay, well, let's, let's get to the bottom of this, let's fix your problem, and did you know this theological truth that will help you with your problem? Sometimes people need you to shut up and just be there with them and cry with them. Whether you agree with every piece of their life or everything they're going through or whether you think they got themselves into that problem or, or you don't even know what's going on, to just enter in and be there with them. And if they're rejoicing, to rejoice with them. This is pure love. This is good, beautiful, delicious love. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. This is great. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of a low position. Again, this comment in the highly stratified, honor-driven Roman Mediterranean is radical. 
Don't be afraid and be, be sure to associate with those that maybe can't get you something back. A lunch with them isn't going to lead to a, um, a nice little client or a boost in your likes on Instagram or it's not going to be maybe the thing that's going to please you in every second of your meeting. But they're of a lower position socially or whatever. Don't be afraid to hang out with them. Make sure you're caring for these folks. So I love the sandwich he gives you. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Right? So get the message, Paul's saying. Like, stop thinking you're so awesome. So it seems like love, love is, Paul has to continually sort of set up these electric fences around, like, keeping pride out of the community. And that is something I can tell you for a fact is a very difficult thing to do because pride can take the, it's very sneaky, right? It's very clever. Pride can take the form of holy piety. It can take the form of an incredible intellect and grasp of the scriptures. Pride can take a lot of different forms that doesn't look like pride. And you can even, if you're really good at it, like I am sometimes, you can really convince yourself and others that that's not pride. That's just me doing the right thing or saying the right thing at the right moment, when really you get down to it, there's pride that's kind of the engine of whatever just happened. So he's saying, like, don't be prideful, don't be conceited, hang out with people of low position. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Don't pay anyone back evil for evil. While I take a sip of delicious water, I will let you think about that. Careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And um, this, this is an important piece that shows up quite a bit in Paul's moral exhortation. And, and, and Jesus is, for that matter. There, there's this notion that people are watching. And people are sick and tired of fake. They're tired of it. They can spot it and smell it for a mile. And it makes them nauseous. And so he's talking to the community of faithful going, you have got to, you've got to make sure that your life is lived in such a way that you know people are, people are looking at what you do. They're looking at how you behave. Kids remind me of that. I mean, having my daughter now, she can now read, and she's in school, so she knows like a lot more stuff. I know for a fact she knows stuff that, that she's watching our lives. She's really watching to see, like, does, does mommy and daddy, do they really love the Lord God, and what does that love look like in their lives? They're watching, and, and, and the world and folks in our communities and networks, they're truly watching us. Um, if, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, they want to see how, what does that mean? Is that just an, a, a belief system you've adopted? That's good for you. Or is that a, I'm all in, throwing yourself into discipleship with Jesus, saying I'm leading my life, uh, f- uh, trying to emulate Jesus and follow after him. Um, if It is possible, as far as it depends on you, verse 18, live at peace with everyone. If it relies, as far as it relies on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, beloved ones, my my loved ones, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And so this comment um, is it's just so critically important. And, and it, I know this is kind of a smattering of themes, but again, this is how Paul presents it to us. He says, you want to taste good love? Let me give you a bunch of different tastes of it. This is kind of the shape 
of true authentic love. And one of those shapes is you're not people seeking after your vindication all the time. And that is hard. How many of you have experienced a moment in your life or maybe several moments where you have truly been wronged, even publicly shamed or accused or insinuated something about you that is not true and it's not right and it's not just and you're just seething. Like this month, and I won't give any details about it, it has nothing to do with this church, by the way. This, this very month, I, I, I had a very kind of weird public, publicly um, moment where I was treated completely unjust. It was really gnarly. It was really ugly. I was very, like I hadn't had something this bad happen and it was by Christians. It wasn't like, you know, the biker gang, the Ku Klux Klan grabbed me and treated me badly or something weird like that, which, like, this was people that followed Jesus, and it was, it was seriously difficult. And I had a whole night where I didn't sleep the whole night, and I was, like, crying, and I was upset, and I was feeling like I was plotting my revenge. It was going to be sweet. I was going to get the right people in my network to mobilize on my behalf. I was going to send, ooh, such a well-worded email, reply back to everybody that saw what was said, and it's going to be sweet. And then I'm going to punch them in the throat. I wasn't going to do that, but I fantasized about it. My kickboxing teacher, Jamaica, my kickboxing teacher, brain nice kickboxing teacher is here. So, yes, I was thinking about that this week and kickboxing a little bit. But the, the reality was I wanted vengeance. I was wronged. It really was messed up. And I'm telling you, it was jacked up. And after some amazing consultation with my beautiful wife, who is a bastion of wisdom in my life, and talking to my best friend, Chris Ayama, who's a therapist, so I get to talk to him for free. That's my best friend. And, and, and kind of reorienting myself to, to my reality of what is love. What does love say? Love says, I have to now pray for this dude. Darn it. And I'm praying for him. And it's not like, oh, D- James is such a great guy or something. I'm, not, I'm just saying, you know what happened? I prayed for him. I did nothing. I, I, I did have to contact a couple of my superiors just so they knew what's going on and they could hear exactly what's happening. But you know the, be- the beauty of it was? The response back was nothing but love. And I was so free of it. And I literally, it was like taking this disgusting jacket off of, of vengeance and anger, this smelly, nasty, just taking it off and leaving it behind. And I, just, I was like, I was free of it. So this particular passage, the idea of, like, don't take revenge. That is God's. That is launched up into the heavenlies. I think we just, there's such practical freedom in that. And that's, that's the uh, a one mark of, of pure, free love, of uh, unauthentic love. And the, and the last two, this, was, this is my main preaching, so don't worry, it won't be a three-hour message. Um, but... The last two points as we think about this being the ingredients, the flavor of love, and the way love tastes. Um, Just as a quick word about the power of love, why is it so important that our love tastes like this? It doesn't just look shiny and happy, but when you bite into it, it actually tastes good. Um, Jesus is, is known to say throughout the gospel accounts, we have this recorded, so he probably said it thousands of times is my guess, when asked, what's the most important thing? What is the most important command? This Bible's a big fat book of a bunch of different things. What's the most important? Distill it for us, Jesus. He says two things in Matthew 22, 37 to 40 captures this, and that's, that's on your handout if you want to look at it later. But he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And that doesn't just mean the person next door to you. As the parable of the Good Samaritan explains, it means anybody. 
you come around, you come in contact with. Love the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the prophets, all the scriptures, all our sacred tradition hangs on these two things. You do these things. If these, are, if these mark you out, they mark you out as the people of God. And Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13, at the very beginning of it, right, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I'm, if I'm the most golden-mouthed rhetorician in the world, if I'm just speaking out such good sermons and messages, but I don't have love, you know what I am? I'm a clanging gong. Gong. Right? A crashing cymbal. Ah! If I have faith as to move mountains, faith as to move mountains, if Bill McPhee... Our dear brother had the faith to move mountains. We would bring him up here, and he'd be like, all right, Bill, the mountain mover's here. Make PV move three feet. Go! Boom! It moves three feet. Like, the world hears about it. It goes viral. We have lines out the door to see the mountain mover. We get him a costume and a theme song and some pyrotechnics, and he'd come out and, like, move the mountain! It would destroy most of your homes, and we'd tell him, please stop moving mountains. But if he did all of that, and it was amazing, but he didn't have love, which, by the way, he has buckets and buckets of love, so you're good there. If he didn't have love, Paul says, it profits him nothing. If you give your body to the flames, Paul says, you give yourself away fully in love. You give everything you have, every last dime, to the poor, which is very important to give to the poor. It's hugely important. But Paul says, if you give everything you have to the poor, but you are a jerk and you don't have love, it's literally you've wasted your life. That's how critical the ingredient of love is. It's a defining feature. And I'll let you read um, um, more about this throughout the whole Bible, the rest of 1 Corinthians 13. Um, but with the final piece, the people of love. The people of love. And um, I, you can read Matthew 25 on, on your own time. I, I wanted to... Um, there's just so much in the Bible about love. There's so very much. And I want you to see that and feel that in this message. Like, I could, I could have handed you a thousand verses, probably. And at some point, we have to ask ourselves, oh, do we get this point? But look at John 13. If you want to ask a question, how do you know a Christian if you spot one? How should you, we should say. How should you know a Christian when you spot one? Is it by our, our political advocacies? Is it by our bumper stickers? Is it by our t-shirts? Is it by our coded language? We know some cool theological uh, words, and our idiom uh, is nice and sanitary. Is it by um, how we dress or cut our hair? How do you know someone is a believer? What's a, what's a definitive quality? It says, John 13, 35, By this, Jesus says, All will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. That's our distinguishing feature. And um, as, I, as, I, as I close off, there is, and we think about the flavor of love, like when people bite into the river church of the South Bay, when they take a big fat bite to this place that I love with all my heart and, and have spent uh, the good portion of my adult life in this relational jacuzzi of love. If you bite into our, our church, what does it taste like? Right? If, if someone bit into our church or bit, in, bit into your, your life and your world, what do you taste like? You might look like someone. What do you taste like? And as a pastor, you want to cl- close off, and, and we're going to close and transition into uh, communion. You want to close off with like some exhortation. Like, come on, church. Let's step it up. Next level. What areas of your life are you lacking in love? 
Be sure to do those things. But I really, with, with all my heart, I would rather end this particular message speaking to the River Church family. So if you're, you're new with us hanging out uh, and kind of looking over the fence at, at, our, at our wackiness, um, you're so, we're so glad you're here. Um, and you can hear this family comment. I want to say to the River Church of the South Bay, um, thank you, amen, and like, let's just, just keep going. This place has been, I will say, I, my experience, and I can only speak from my experience and my family's experience, but I will say, this has been a place that we have journeyed through the hardest times of our life and the greatest times of our life, which I think right now is probably right up there with the greatest times of our life, in this community, there are probably a hundred different phone calls I couldn't make immediately and know that if I have to talk about some junk in my life, if I have to cry on someone's shoulder, if I'm in deep need, if Brian and I are out, Brian and I are out on the streets for some reason, all of a sudden, which hopefully will never happen, but there are, if we just need a hug, sometimes I just need like, I just call someone just, just to be told like, hey, you're, God loves you, you're valuable. There are so many places I could go to immediately. So I just want to say to the River Church in South Bay, you taste really good. You taste delicious. And with that, I would say, let's protect those ingredients. And one reason you taste delicious is because there's not a closed circle around that little bread bowl. It's an open community. We say come and join. Come and see. Come and taste. If you want to know what are we about, what is our heartbeat for, one of those things is going to be authentic, tasty, delicious love. So I'll bring up the band and we're going to um, transition into communion. And, um, and, and am I bringing up, is Janie doing it or will I transition right in? Yep, I will. Um, as we move over to the communion table, uh, this is a great picture. It's a great, is one of our rituals, I guess you could say. It's a great picture of remembering Jesus and the fact that his life was given for others. Greater love has no one than this, that they would lay down their lives for their friends. And Jesus did exactly that. And, and the night in which he was betrayed by, by Judas, right before the betrayal, he had this Passover Seder, and he kind of resignified it. And he said, this bread, this bread is going to signify my body that's going to be broken for you to make the hurts and the rebellion and the sins and the junk and the, just the crud that has separated us from God that's going to bridge that gap, that's going to ameliorate and fix the pain of that separation. It's going to renew what is dead. This body is given for you and this blood, uh, this, this wine that he pours out, which we have grape juice here, um, this is my blood that's been given for you. As often as you take this, and you do it in community, by the way, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget, don't forget that example of true love, the, the most incredible demonstration of it. So that's what we're doing. So I want to invite you, uh, as the music goes, to just come up, get some bread, dip, dip it in that um, grape juice, and say a prayer, give a hug to someone, sit quietly and reflect, converse, whatever it is. We're pretty easy here at the river. Um, let's celebrate communion, community, communion, and authentic love together. Thank you.